So good to be with you this evening. Pastor Corey was going to finish his series on uh, For Our Good, but he was unable to be here tonight. So I would, I would like to teach a transitional message that I think will bridge us from Pastor Corey's wonderful series. And if you've not been able to hear any of those, I encourage you to go on YouTube or online to the church website and click on those and listen to those. It's why is theology important for Christians today? What does it mean in our lives? And um, so I would encourage you to, t- to check those out. And, and in that same vein of theology and the study of God and what Christians believe, Pastor is going to start a new series next Wednesday night, uh, July 1st on Moses. So as I was praying uh, the last couple days, I was like, Lord, would you help me bridge these two topics together? And I believe he did, but you know, as a pastor, as a Christian, you just, you just ask for confirmation, don't you? Lord, just can you, please, just one confirmation. And as Pastor Glenn just started singing tonight about the faithfulness of the Lord, that's where all of this started. So I was like, thank you, Lord, because I didn't know what he was going to sing and he didn't know what I was going to teach. And I love how the Lord works in that. So this is a transitional teaching from Pastor Corey's series to Pastor Stephen's series next Wednesday. And it's called Knowing God. And you see on there is part one. I've got two other parts to this because when I started preparing this message, I realized there is no way on planet Earth I'm going to be able to cover all of this material in 45 minutes. So it's a three-part series that I'll kind of weave in and out of other series that are going on. So, and I'll, when, when I'm up to teach again, I'll, weave, I'll do, uh, weave us back to, hey, this is what we talked about before and this is where we're at now so you won't be lost. But we're going to talk about knowing God and, and this is kind of where we find ourselves today. We're in the middle of a pandemic that's lasted over three months. There's un, racial unrest in our city and around the nation and in some places around the world. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and panic. And I, I heard someone say something from their heart. I believe it was. I'm sure it was. If you know this person. But this just kind of inspired me as to where we would go tonight. This person said, this good friend of mine, other than being with my babies, being in the presence of the Lord during praise and worship on Sunday is the best feeling I've had in a while. And I want you to let that sink in for a minute because it's not about how much money you have. It's not about what your position or title is. It's about family and it's about being in God's presence. When, it, when it's boiled down and everything is stripped away, it's about the people we care for and the one who loves us that we have a relationship with. And I felt like that little quote from a text set me on a journey of what does it mean to know God? Now, if there's a church on planet Earth that talks about knowing God and spending time in God's presence and loving God and serving God and studying God, it's Christian life. This is nothing new that you will hear tonight, but I I just want to take you on a journey that I've kind of been on personally and unwrap tonight what this first part looks like in knowing God because the scripture is where we have to begin. And it's like, duh, 
But yeah, you've got to begin with Scripture if you're going to know God correctly. It's got to start with the Bible. So let's look at Psalm 101 to 2 if you have your Bibles. If not, it's printed there on your notes. And I, it was a mistake, so all the notes were printed on cardstock because I was trying to figure out the copier today, so sorry about that. It's not that I think my sermons deserve cardstock. I just hit the wrong button, so. But um, it says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And I think we've kind of done that tonight. And I, What a privilege it's been to be in his presence and to sing and to kind of forget the rest of what the world's going through. But verse three is where I want to focus in on. Know that the Lord is God. Know. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So Lord, I pray that the word would come alive and pierce our hearts, that it would run swiftly. I pray that your word, which is living and piercing and running to the hearts of your people, would not return void. These moments were together in scripture. And Lord, because we've been in your presence and because we're in your word, I pray that we would leave here knowing you better and knowing you more and desiring to know you more than we did when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. The central truth of tonight's teaching is this. God did not reveal himself to give us theoretical knowledge about himself. Instead, God's self-disclosure is coupled with personal challenge, confrontation, and the opportunity to respond. God did not reveal himself to give us theoretical knowledge about himself. Instead, God's self-disclosure is coupled with personal challenge, confrontation, and the opportunity to respond. What does that mean? It means God is not interested in us getting an A-plus on a quiz about who God is. He's interested in us getting an A-plus in the effort and the time and the sacrifice and the obedience and the love and the pursuit that it takes to know his heart and to become like his son Jesus, made into the image of his son. That is what God is after in all of us. He's not after an academic pursuit. All those academics are good. He's not after a strength of the flesh or an effort based on how strong I am or how willing I am or how much uh, oomph I have to put into it. No, we're weak as water before the Lord. He's looking for willing and weak and humble vessels that say, Lord, I need you more than I need anything else. And being in relationship is really the only way we can know who he is. But we cannot base it all on experience. The scripture, point number one, is where we must begin. 
Now, the Bible does not attempt to prove God's existence. Instead, it opens with his existence as a primary assumption. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. (laughs) It just kind of tells us this is how it starts. God, he was first. He was primary. And there is substantial evidence for his existence in Scripture. We see that in Genesis 1.1. We see that in Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So you've got fools saying, kind of proving there's a God, because if they're saying there's no God, they're a fool. You've got the Bible saying God started it all. You've got creation and nature saying, look at God's handiwork. There's a designer behind all this. And then if you want to look in Acts chapter 17, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Luke in the book of Acts is giving us a summary statement of who God is, what he's done, and how we're to respond. Let her see, therefore we cannot base our understanding of God on presumptions about him or on what we want God to be like. And this is where I think most Christians are. We start in our relationship with God with what we want. This is who I want my God to be. This is how I want my God to respond. This is what I think my God should say or do. And then we go from there and build a relationship on all the things that we want. It's like we've cherry-picked the qualities and characteristics of the God that we want to create. And that is so backwards. Because God is not of our creation. We are his creation. So we take God for who he is. And we take God for what he says. And we take God for what he does. And how do we know what that is? Because the word of God tells us who he is, what he says, and what he does. We've got to start with scripture. So we cannot base our understanding of God on presumptions about him or on what we want God to be like. So I want us to take the majority of our time that we have left and look at examples throughout scripture. You'll see there in your notes, there's eight names. I won't go into detail on all of them, but I've left you some room to take some notes down because if you'll see above each name there are three columns there's a personal challenge a confrontation and an opportunity to respond and God's self-disclosure to us is coupled with personal challenge confrontation and the opportunity to respond it's not a static thing it's interactive God wants us to respond to him and how many of you know You get to know your wife and you get to know your children when you interact with them and respond to them. 
I love what pastor said on Sunday. We need to get to know our wives. What does that mean? We know what makes them tick and we know what ticks them off. That's how we know who we're married to. That's how we know who our children are, our sons and our daughters, whether biological or adopted. So let's take the first one, the obvious one, Adam. In Genesis 3, it talks about the fall of man. Now, God had created Adam. He had formed him out of the dust of the ground and blown his eternal breath into his nostrils and man was formed. But Adam named all the animals. God took Adam's rib out of his side and made a helper suitable for him. Her name was Eve. And they're living in this luscious paradise. They're walking in the cool of the garden, in the cool of the day with God, having communion with him, talking with him, hearing his thoughts, understanding his desires, sharing their desires, him releasing creativity in them. And then the serpent shows up. And so there was a personal challenge to both Adam and Eve. God didn't say if you ate of the fruit you would die, did he? I I love how, I don't love it because it gets me a lot, but the enemy uses crafty questions to get us to rationalize or discount what we already know is true and get our focus off what we should have our focus on. And so what did Adam and Eve do? Eve ate of the fruit in the presence of her husband and he partook of some of it right there. He wasn't off hunting or fishing and happened to walk up and Eve's eating an apple. That's not how that worked. They were together in all of this and Adam didn't take the leadership. And so they both fell and what happened? Immediately they knew they were naked and they hid. And God came just as he came every day looking for them. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked and I'm ashamed. How do you know you're naked? And then Adam shares. There's that personal challenge and that confrontation. And they're kicked out of the garden, aren't they? And there are curses put on mankind because of sin entering the world. But from the very beginning, God begins to show redemption because he took two animals killed them, took the skins of those animals, clothed Adam and Eve's nakedness. The first sacrifice was made to cover their shame and their guilt. So there was already an opportunity to respond. And so they respond by having children and beginning to populate the earth. So that's just one case of Adam, a personal challenge, a confrontation, an opportunity to respond. We see this all throughout scripture. Abraham in Genesis 17 When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless, then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. He basically said, Abraham, if you'll follow me and keep my covenant, I'll make you a father of many nations, of many people. You see the stars in the sky, your offspring will be more than that. You see the sand on the seashore, your children, your offspring will be more than that if you will covenant with me. And Abraham, and pastor's done a series on Abraham. 
And we know Abraham's mess ups. He and Sarah are getting older in years and there's not a son. And so Sarah gives Abraham his handmaiden Hagar and they have a son Ishmael through Hagar. And that was not God's promise. God's promise was that Abraham and Sarah would have a son. And eventually they get it together and God helps them and they have Isaac. And then God says, okay, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. So again, there's a personal challenge, a confrontation, and then an opportunity to respond. At any point, Abraham could have said, nope, I'm not doing this. I'm out. I'm tapping out. Sorry. Find somebody else. But God is looking for people who are willing to take that personal challenge, walk and work through that confrontation, and respond to him. We see it in the life of Jacob where he wrestles with God. He's going to meet his brother Esau. He's scared to death because he stole his brother's birthright. So he sends half of his family ahead and holds half of the family back. That way, if Esau's on a killing spree, at least he'll have half of what he had. And and God meets him at a very sacred place and wrestles with him. And what happens? He causes Jacob to limp. He touches his hip and he limps for the rest of his life because he had a confrontation with God that changed his name and changed the way he walked. So there's that personal challenge, confrontation, and opportunity to respond in Jacob's life. And then in Moses' life, you have the burning bush where he's watching his father-in-law's sheep and livestock out in the desert and he sees a bush that's burning and it's not unusual to see a burning bush in a hot desert, but this bush is not consumed. And so what does he do? He turns aside. He doesn't just say, oh, there's a burning bush and keep walking. He turns aside and realizes that he's in the presence of a holy God. So he takes his sandal off, sandals off, and the Lord has an exchange with him and talks to him about delivering God's chosen people from Egypt who had been in slavery for 400 years. So again, there's a personal challenge, a confrontation, and an opportunity to respond. Then you have Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke 1, Gabriel comes and announces himself and says, Hi Mary, you are chosen, you are highly favored, and the Messiah will be born in you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you, and Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, will be born from you. God will be his father and you will be his earthly mother. And I love what Mary said. She's like, I don't know how that's going to work. You need to find somebody else. No, she doesn't do this. She says, how will this be? She's a young teenage girl and she's like, I'm a virgin. I've not been with a man. How is this going to happen? It wasn't a faith faithless response it was a faithful response I believe you but how's this going to work out and the angel answered the Holy Spirit will come on you the power of the most high will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God even Elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age and she who said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail And I love Mary's answer. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's like, let's do this. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm willing. 
So she had a personal challenge and a confrontation and she responded. Then you got Peter that denies Jesus. Not just once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus even predicted it and he said, Peter, you're gonna be sifted, but I've prayed for you. And you're gonna be okay. And Peter failed the confrontation. He failed the personal challenge. But what does Jesus do? He restores him anyway. And he says, you know what? I am going to walk out in this relationship, walk in this relationship God has provided for me. And I'm not gonna let my failure define me. I'm gonna let who Jesus is for me and in me define me. Nathaniel in John 1 Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael. I love this story. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, he truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Some translations say there is no guile. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. There's that challenge, come and follow me. There's that confrontation. Wow, is this, is this really Jesus? And then he responds, yes, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then Martha, we know the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is visiting in their home. Luke 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Sounds like my kids when I ask them to unload the dishwasher or something, you know. Do I have to do this all myself? Where are my siblings? Can they come help me? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only One, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus was already setting up that understanding that his presence was the most important thing to pursue, even with everything else around us that we need to do or have to to do or or is of necessity. And I want to add an I to that. If I'd have been smart, I would have added an I and then J and I would have said J is for Justin because I've I've had a little personal challenge while I was on vacation. And you might say, you were on vacation. What kind of challenge could you possibly have had? Well, we were kind of in the middle of nowhere in a state that was more closed than South Carolina with not a lot to do. And believe it or not, the place we were staying was seven and a half miles from the interstate. So anytime you wanted to go somewhere, you had to drive that seven and a half miles to the interstate to go somewhere. So I won't tell you where we're at because I don't want to badmouth any other state. 
but don't go to Nashville or Knoxville anytime soon. So, not only was it seven and a half miles from the interstate to where we were staying, but they were doing a four lane reconstruction of the highway. So it was 35 down to 30 miles an hour, the entire seven and a half miles. Every time I had to go to a store or to take my kids somewhere, it was 30 miles an hour for seven and a half miles. It might as well have been 50 miles at 65 miles an hour because it just seemed to take forever. And by the third day, I was like, Lord, please help my attitude with this. And he said, I am. And I was like, Lord, I wasn't expecting you to respond to that request. He said, no, I'm helping you. I know you don't understand right now. I know you don't feel it right now, but I am helping you more than you know. And I was like, well, Lord, I was by myself. So I was like, Lord, can you explain it to me? Because I really, I really want to learn this lesson if there's a lesson to be learned. He said, your pace is so rapid. The way you live your life is so fast that this whole trip is on purpose to slow your behind down. Does the Lord say behind to you when he talks to you? He talks to each of us the way we need to hear him. And he said, the pace that you're living your life and you're doing day to day, is, it can't be pleasing to me because you're going too fast. You're missing so many things that I want to either show you or speak to your heart or allow you to experience good things, helpful things, wholesome things, supernatural things. And he said, the only way I could get your attention is to bring you to the middle of nowhere where there's nothing to do and give you a seven and a half mile stretch of road that's 30 miles an hour. And there was no cheating. I need to, I need to say this. There was no cheating because it was also a speed trap. There were cops all up and down that road. I mean, I saw probably 20 people pulled over for those five days we were there, back and forth. And I was like, I, I don't need my insurance to go up and I sure don't need a ticket, especially in another state where I'm not gonna go back and go to court and do all that junk. So I had to drive slow. But I tell you what, by the end of the week, my pace had slowed down. My blood pressure <laughs> had gone down. And the Lord said, now I want you to watch the pace of your life. I'm helping you. Let me help you. And I could have said, well, I don't, I don't want this kind of help. I don't like this kind of help. Or I could take the personal challenge in my confrontation with the Lord and I could say, okay, Lord, you know better than I do. You know better for me. You know better for my family. You know better for the people I influence and touch in ministry and in friendships and in family. 
and I want to honor you in every way. And you see, the only reason the Lord brought that up was because it was time. It was time to bring that up. And so I, I don't want you to leave here tonight going, well, I'm looking at all these people and Pastor Justin, and I'm just, I'm not ready for all this. It's okay. You're on God's schedule for you. And he's got you right where he wants you. And he is showing you his best, his love, his faithfulness. And you might say, well, okay, this is part one. We got to start with scripture. We see this lived out in a lot of people's lives in scripture, but where do we go from here? Well, it gets better from here because God begins to then show us his constitutional attributes or his absolute attributes. And then God also shows us those attributes of love, of mercy, of truthfulness, of righteousness. And so that would be part three. So there's somewhere going, and and all of this is learning how to know God, knowing him so that we can love him and serve him the very best way we can. So what are our Christian life lessons tonight? It's simply three things. Letter A, our testimony should be one of studying the scripture to know him, not just know about him. I think Christians are starting to realize the Bible is not just a book of facts so I can pass an exam about Jesus. It is truth and life and sustenance and strength and help to my everyday life and I've got to be in God's word. I'm just telling you personally, I feel it when I'm not in God's word. My spirit man feels it. And when my spirit man is out of whack, everything else is out of whack because I'm allowing the natural human part of me to take charge or the emotional mind and will part of me to take charge. And that's why I love that quote from my friend. The only place I feel safe and secure is in the presence of Jesus. And and I'm encouraging you, as Pastor Glenn did earlier, get in that place as often as you can. Because in these times we're in, it's not going to be a snappy phrase or a catch word or a a, a refrigerator magnet that's going to get us through it. It's going to be spending time in God's presence and knowing him and hearing his voice and being obedient to it. Secondly, Every scripture passage that we examine should be studied with a heart toward academics, contextual criticism, and proof text. No, no, there's too much of that. This is how we should examine and approach every scripture passage with a heart toward worship, service, and obedience. If we as believers can read the word of God with a heart of worship, service, and obedience, it will not only revolutionize our lives, it'll revolutionize the world. It's not just enough to know the stuff. We've got to know it here so we can live it out every day with a heart toward worship, service, and obedience. And then letter C, the last one. The Bible is our true source. It communicates to us God's existence and his nature and his character. If you want to learn who God is, if you want to learn what God does, 
If you want to learn what God says and know him, we've got to begin with scripture. So I wanted to start with that tonight and hopefully that'll transition us from Pastor Corey's series to Pastor Stephen's series this coming Wednesday. Let me pray for you here as we are dismissed. Father, in this moment of of wrapping up, Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that it is light and it is life to us who follow you. So Lord, don't let us treat it like a seasoning over our life. Let us treat it like the meal that it was intended to be. And Father, would you help us to pursue scripture with a heart of worship, service, and obedience. Lord, forgive me for the times that I just needed a clever response to a Facebook post or an email. But instead, I want to know you. And Lord, if I'll study your word with a heart toward worship, service, and obedience, I will know you more and I will know you better. Thank you that you are a God that is knowable. You're not high and lofty, far off somewhere. You're not hard to get a hold of. You're not holding us at arm's length. You're a God who is knowable. And Lord, I just feel that on my heart that there are people in this room right now that they desire to know you more than ever before. It may be their circumstances. It may be their season in life. It maybe just, maybe the light bulb came on tonight. I don't know. Holy Spirit, you're doing work I know nothing of, but I welcome it and I thank you for it. But Lord, if there are those who want to know you, I pray that you would draw them in and show them what it looks like to follow you and pursue you on a daily level. And Lord, I believe I'm talking to people who have said yes to Jesus. They're saved, they're going to heaven. But Lord, they just know of you or know about you, but they truly desire to know you. Lord, I pray you'd open that door to them tonight and they'd walk through it with gladness. Now, Father, if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice that does not yet know Jesus Christ as the leader of their life, as the one who forgives their sins, I pray that they would have the courage to talk to someone after service, maybe their neighbor, maybe the person they came with. Lord, I pray that they would say yes to Jesus. They would, I love what Pastor Corey said last week. They would admit they, were, they are a sinner, just like I've admitted I'm a sinner and others in this church have. They would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. They would confess that Jesus is Lord of their life and then, letter D, they would demonstrate it by how they live. Father, I pray if there's anyone that needs that tonight, you'd give them the courage to have that conversation so that they can know beyond a shadow of a doubt if they were to die tonight, they'd be in your presence. Father, for those that need healing in their body, we pray again for our church family, those that are dealing with COVID-19 diagnoses, those that are dealing with other sicknesses that are going rampant right now. Father, for those that are fighting cancer, for those that need a job, for those that have lack in their financial situation, 
I just pray that your hand of provision, your hand of healing, your hand of mercy would be extended and shown so that their life can be turned around and become a testimony of your faithfulness, your love, and your power. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for this time that we can be together here tonight. Amen.